The theme for the afternoon talk is giving and receiving. <coughs> Just before getting into the flow of the talk, a couple of uh, small things that I'd like to uh, mention to you. During the days that we've been here together, we have been uh, exploring the, the Dharma of our life, the uh, inner life, and that does and has employed meditation as one of the features running through the days. And as a number of you know well, of course, that uh, emphasis in the meditation has primarily been on uh, calm and insight to generate deeper inner peace, a greater clarity and awareness and through that the perceptions can become clearer and that give us, giving us the opportunity for some uh, insight. And the Buddha has used a rather beautiful uh, analogy of this. He says that our body is rather like a house, a castle. And the castle has a number of windows, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, through which the world comes, the light comes through the windows. He says, the lord of the castle, <coughs> the body, the lord of the castle, is awareness. And two messengers come to the lord of the castle. Two birds fly through the windows of the castle. One is the message of calm, inner peace, serenity, and called samatha. And the other is vipassana, is insight. And then the Buddha asked, what is the message that these two messengers bring, named calm and insight, named samatha and vipassana? And he said, the message of liberation. In the contemporary Theravada tradition, with its, with its great uh, strengths and tradition, has come to speak of vipassana as a method or a technique. And some of you in the hall here will associate it as that. But that is not the view of the Buddha and has never ever been expressed in the teachings in that way. The word vipassana simply and literally and very, very precisely means insight. So in the very flow and rhythm of our days of mindfulness and meditation here, hopefully it is contributing and has been contributing to a greater calmness, greater sense of well-being and uh, integration with all the ups and downs that may go along with it and it also has contributed and is contributing to insight both from within our meditations our days of aloneness and being with our being and of course from without through listening to the teachings what you may have heard in small groups inquiry one-to-ones uh, etc and therefore the days and the flow have intentionally, obviously, are uh, intended to contribute to calm and insight. And vipassana, therefore, can arise at any time, any place, any situation, wherever there is some insight which we find is beneficial and important, though sometimes very difficult to accept and acknowledge about some insights that we have, that is vipassana. It is not method, it is not technique, unless one just adheres to the uh, view within the tradition, but not in the body of the Buddha's uh, teachings. This other aspect, and what makes that, I think, somewhat significant for Jaya and I and uh, uh, other teachers, we are Dharma teachers. And so sometimes people have said to me here and uh, elsewhere, why is it that you touch on mm, political realities, or on environmental issues, on, or on social engagement, or interpersonal, or uh, relationships, or 
issues of daily life, whatever it might be. And the reason that we do, because we're Dharma teachers. So a contribution in Dharma teaching is uh, the exploration of meditation for calm and for insight, for samatha and for vipassana. But the vision and the exploration, as is encouraged in the uh, teachings of the Buddha, is to look in to this eightfold path, what is called uh, right understanding and right intention and action and speech and livelihood. So in our own small way, we are endeavouring to address all those things that matter. And the word right, right understanding, right intention, right speech, more precisely, and the word right doesn't communicate this, it is a way of living in this world, which right means, which is conducive to living a noble life. It's not right versus wrong. That which is conducive to living a truly noble life. And this is why it's called the Noble Eightfold Path, Noble Way of Living. So it's a responsibility, one might say. It's the task of Dharma teachers and uh, dedicated Dharma yogis, practitioners, to explore the whole range of life and not to think and never to imagine for a moment that the simple mechanistic repetition of some method and technique is what the Dharma teachings are about. It's a a total exploration of the the fullness of this life experience. And so when we don't, when we, for those of you who know the three jewels, the three gems, and they are the great gems of existence, Buddhang Sarananga Chami, I take refuge in awakening, Buddha means awake to awake. Dhammang Saranangachami, take refuge in the Dharma. Listen, I explore, I practice the Dharma. It doesn't say Vipassana Saranangachami. It's Dhammang Saranangachami. And also one goes for guidance and the benefit and the welfare that we receive. Sangang Saranangachami to men and women who are leading a noble way of life, who are recognize the profound importance of it and are willing to stay as uh, Jaya was reminding us the evening totally dedicated to it there no compromise with anything else and that's a huge uh, huge challenge for us and I think in the spirit of Dharma teachings and Dharma practices and the benefits of deep meditation of calm and insight of samatha and vipassana that sometimes, and that might be necessary, and for many of us it's been necessary in various ways, that might require struggle. We may not like struggle, but struggle sometimes is a kind of indispensable feature of this. And if you think of the juxtaposition with regard to this, look at the message that you and I have got. The message is the politest word for being brainwashed, <laughs> the uh, conditioning the imposition, the abuse of our lives through being told that the primary re- reason for existence is to produce and to consume. And the tremendous pressure that men and women are under to have more, get more and become somebody. And this pressure upon people. And so we have in the schools, and those of you who have children, who associate with children, or universities, enormous pressure on them to succeed, to to gain knowledge. It's mental abuse. And is it any wonder that children and teenagers and young people are, are so anxious and worried and fearful and afraid with regard to passing exams? Is it any wonder that so many young people are into drugs and huge amount of alcohol binging, etc., because of the old pressures that are upon them, <coughs> being told that there won't be somebody until they've got past this and done this and achieved that, so they can produce and consume more. And Dharma is in complete rebellion against it. It regards it, uh, regards it as an utterly intolerable way of uh, uh, living, and we can see all the decadence and the tragedy of it 
on our streets, in our homes, and in the nightmare of it all. Dharma says we have to find some other way, some other kind of alternatives to all of this. And that's going to take some courage. And it's going to take, as the Buddha said, to be able to stand steady in the stream, no matter what direction that stream is going in. And that's part of why we practice here. To be able to stand steady, even when the outer and inner voices are putting uh, so much pressure upon us. And what's alarming, if I may say, uh, this, is that we have the arrogance, the terrible arrogance of our culture, that we think our way of life, that everybody else has to have it. It's sick. That we are going to impose on other people the two or three party state, whether they want it or not. We're going to impose on them corporate ownership of all natural resources, whether they want it or not. And we're going to impose uh, on them consumer values, whether they want it or not. And is it any wonder that so many parts of the world live in resistance and fear and mistrust of what people, our leaders, are doing in our name and the imposition on other people's lives? We have to do some soul-searching. We are in no position to travel around this world telling other people, this is how you live and copy us, because we're no example of what noble living is about. We have to have another sense of what giving is all about. The people, when the, when the, when the, the, uh, the uh, English have no time for them. There was a, a Russian sociologist did an extensive worldwide report and what he found was that in the last since the 9th century or 10th century the English in this world have engaged in more wars than any other nation on earth 56 years out of every 100 the English have been at war and who's a close second the Spanish. <coughs> World wars and colonial wars and civil wars, etc. And which nation, in its huge arrogance, has invaded 19 countries with the military since 1950? United States. We have a lot of soul searching to do. We have a lot of questioning to do. Unless the Dharma addresses inner and outer life fully and fearlessly, then we're going to drift into a terrible mess and nightmare. And so it's the task and the responsibility of each and every one of us to keep questioning, not to be afraid of authority, and generate a different culture which has some different roots in it, of giving and receiving, giving and receiving in a different way. In the looking of this movement of giving and receiving, when I was in the monastery, the old Hachan Tambatero, rather old, 86, so it's just inquiring from the monks, is he, still, is he still alive? I haven't heard anything for some months. And they said, oh, one of his devotees uh, was talking to him just a three or four weeks ago. And I intention is, or being well in this uncertain world, to pay him a, a visit in uh, June and to visit as well the, the, the cave where I had the uh, great uh, privilege of uh, spending some nine months when I was a, a monk. And Ajahn Damodaro would constantly be emphasizing, I think it's a rather important thing for, for you and I to remember, that what goes on inside here travels, he says, it, it, it travels. And one of the significant journeys that it makes from what goes on inside is through here, through here, through here, and out through the hand and the end of the fingers. And if we want to look at what travelling is all about, apart from the great benefits and all credit to everyone here who's stepped out of their culture and their normal environment so we can breathe and take a good look and have some space from what we're coming from, 
but also it's the journey as important that goes from here to here. And how much, sometimes, when we're not aware of that, how much that may manifest itself and show itself in just greed. Desire, wanting, move through the arm, move through, down through the shoulder, through the hand, and boom! <laughs> I want. is <coughs> greed. And as I've said in this hall previous uh, uh, years, and certainly said even more often in the West, that the sacred pagoda of the West is the refrigerator. <laughs> it's the inner tabernacle <laughs> which men, women and children keep going to when they haven't been able to see this movement. <laughs> One's unhappy, the refrigerator. One's happy, the refrigerator. <laughs> One's not sure if one's happy or unhappy, the refrigerator. <laughs> It's an amazing phenomenon that goes on. It's, uh, it's, it's this, this pagoda that sits in the, in the house. And it wouldn't be so bad if it, were, if it was the only shrine room. But the, the, the other one is the television set. Yeah. Do you know, if there was a species from outer space and it looked down on this earth, it would think, these people... There has to be some huge computer around which is ordering people every night and now most of the day as well to go and sit in a comatose, dead condition looking at a screen. <laughs> and we are told a third of the planet is doing this. And we're trying to get as many others to do it as well. <laughs> that because we're in the land of the living dead, we don't feel comfortable. So if we can get everybody else to be in it, we'll feel better about it. <laughs> Such a phenomena. We've got the, pa the energy to turn the damn thing on. <laughs> but we haven't got the energy left to get it off. <laughs> God, our life is going by, and the a on average, people in the West are watching 24 hours in the week television. 10 years in 70 are spent in front of the television. If that's not, then they go off and watch a film. <laughs> I'm not watching TV tonight, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to the movies. <laughs> I can safely say I'm not one of those. I've been to the cinema twice since 1990. Instantly forgettable was one of them. It was Brad the Pitts was in it. <laughs> It was called, what was it called? <laughs> seven years, that's right, Caroline said. Seven years in Tibet was the title of it. Sess wasn't in it. <laughs> <laughs> Nor was Cole. Very bad, all right, all right, we love. So, <clears throat> so somehow we have to question, look and see, can I generate some real space in my inner life? Can I be willing to step out of that world? I don't want to live imprisoned in that way. Because sometimes what also travels down through, of course, is aggression, anger. It may show itself in what we type in an email. It may show itself in the letter. It may show itself in the waving of the fist. It may show itself in violence. It may show itself in our leaders writing and authorising some violence on people, on nature. It's travelled from within, it's moved down the arm, it's moved out through the fingers. So the abbot of the monastery, wisely I thought, and it took some while to get a sense of it, would encourage the monks, we had to do, move the hand up and down. Watch what is going on in the hand 
and the way that what the influences are running into the hand. Sometimes it shows in our fears, in our confusions, in our diff- agitations, and it's all running out, and, that, and the poor hand, it can't keep still, we're so nervous, we're so afraid, we're so whatever. All in the hands, but it starts in the inner. Yet the same connection, the same awareness, instead of it being greed, it can be giving. It can be the act of kindness running through the hand, the gesture, the offering, the present, the service, the touch of the hand upon an, another who's in, who's in terrible tears and pain. And, it's just, and the hand reaches and just gives support and the per- person feels loved and accepted because the love has gone through the hand to that person, to that animal or whatever. Same hand too can, from the kindness and the expressions of compassion, but also from, lo- from creativity. Look how much when we're deep inside, how creative we can be. But a creativity, not the creativity like of the that distorted creativity made just for exploitation, just for profit. We made a, Tom Riddle who was here last year, made a wonderful film about the Pragnivihar school. And he filmed around the village. And there was a huge banner in, in, the, in the village. And the banner showed uh, a large uh, painting, picture, uh, of, of, of the Buddha. And underneath it, it said Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> Just said. They wouldn't dare do it with the Muslim brothers and sisters. They wouldn't dare do it. Wouldn't, they wouldn't dare do it and have and Christ on the cross and have Pepsi-Cola underneath it. But it's just a little shrug of the shoulders. So you see, what is this action of the giving and the receiving? The giving and the receiving. It's a beautiful thing to explore, whether it's the act of kindness and the act of generosity and the act of beautiful creativity to uplift ourselves as human beings, our heart and our spirit and our culture. And somehow we need to kind of tap into that, connect with connect with all of that and watch that simple movement that takes place. It's such an extraordinary thing in our life to, to see <coughs> unfold. And then there's the, the giving and the receiving. I take the view that the rich cannot give. I don't think they can give. I think it's the duty of the, of the rich. It's not giving. I think it's giving back. I think it's, having taken, the time has come to give back. And it disconcerts me a little bit, and perhaps it does with, with you, that how easy it happens that when the rich give, and it's, one wonders, is it actually giving? Or is it consumerism in another form? Is it, I am giving, but I want something back? So they'll have the name of their charity or foundation in their name. They'll uh, have the synagogue with their name, plaques on the wall. They'll have the university or a department in their name. This is what the super rich do. Is it giving or is it I giving back? In return, I get a little sense of my immortality. In return, people will know I gave. I think we should just see it as I took in the first place. (coughs) The poor can give. Those who have to be careful give. And do you know in in, uh, dear old uh, England they did a poll we love polls in the West don't we? (laughs) Did a poll to find out which part of the country was the most generous, who gave the most? So those of you who know England, they, what they call the home counties is all around London and around there, and it's you know, middle class, garden, England, <laughs> Oxford and Cambridge, all that. Very nice. And the town which gives the most in Britain is 
Sunderland, which has the highest unemployment rate, the poorest people, and these are the people that give the most. Though they have little struggling away up there in the in the northeast of a former industrialized town, and they're the most generous. Most of us from countries who generously gave to the tsunami. As people looked at the television and one of the power of those who use those little camcorders and video cameras like we have in, have in here. We just, you and I saw with our own eyes and television, my God. And I've been listening to some of you who just escaped the tsunami, some of you who are very close to it, some of you went there to help, etc. I've been hearing your voices in here and in the village. And Sometimes some events touched us. And as one person said, wrote me a note and said, Yes, but Christopher, look what's, just as many people are dying consistently with AIDS and all the other. Of course, of course. But some, we need to be touched. And something, when the heart is touched, there is the potential for you and I to respond, to give. And I think it somehow expresses some kind of noble interconnection a kind of noble awareness that we're all in this together. And sometimes the giving is a kind of demonstration of it. I remember coming here over the years and uh, Rick, some of you will know, he, like a number of you, and myself coming here, talk and those days I used to have a with the translator give a little Dharma talk to the, the children who come that you see every morning and sometimes some the participants would come and lend an ear and Rick was one of those after the retreat he found a school teacher rented a room in a monastery and got about 20 poor kids together and contacted myself and one or two other friends and a little bit, step by step by step by step. And the outcome of just one act of giving, some time, energy and a little money, not too much, didn't need too much, developed and with the team of us now I have nearby the Vihar School, which I hope you will come and visit <coughs> on the morning of the 6th for the cultural event. And one never knows in the small act of giving that it's a spark which lights for something else. We just don't know. And we had a criteria with the school that it's the poorest of the poor. Really the poor kids who will never get any education. And I went to the home of Kaiser. She's one of the the girls in the school, you know, when one comes here, you see them at five, and then six, and seven, eight. She's about 17 or 18. In the same year, <coughs> this is the tragedy, this is not 500 yards from here is our home. In the same year, her father died of tuberculosis in the home, coughing up blood and terrible, terrible for the family. And of course, the father was the breadwinner. The son took over, and the son, teenager, you know how it is in this place, the electricity goes. And he thought, while well, the electricity was off, because it's a very poor family, they had no tools, you know, to, and the wiring was problematic in the home, and he tried to cut back the wiring, but he didn't have a tool. He used his mouth. In that moment, the electricity went on, and he was dead, right in front of the family. A few months later, the brother committed suicide as a result. Less than 500 yards. Sometimes we can be in this village we have no idea. 
no idea what's going on. So somewhere in us, uh, we've kind of, as we've been exploring over the days, we've kind of got to touch a deep place. <coughs> got to feel connected. We and I, we receive so much from <coughs> our visit here. It can be transforming for some of us. And it is, for me, it certainly has been transforming. <laughs> and in all of that, we've got to find ways that we really hear and listen to each other so that the act of giving and the act of receiving is flowing in some way or other. And to develop a culture of it, a spirit of it, to get us out of the marketplace where I'm only going to give this to you if you give something back to me. Because in a heart which is warm and happy and grateful and appreciative, the significant change that takes place is the act of the giving is the act of the joy. The giving is the joy. And if there's any depth in our meditation, any clarity in our whole, whole being, of course there will be appreciation for the response that comes back. There will be appreciation from another or others, oh, thank you, you know, appreciate your kindness, appreciate your generosity, I appreciate your love, your attention, your commitment, your support, your donations, your, your gift, your energy, however we might say. And we can still touch and, and, and feel happy that someone has benefited from whatever we said or what we did or gave. But the heart knows the actual real joy was the act of the giving itself. And the rest is whatever, extra icing on the cake. That's what giving is. It carries its own joy. <laughs> and even sometimes, and I'm sure you and certainly myself, had this experience where we gave, whatever it might be, I say time, money, energy, <coughs> support, whatever. And sometimes it hasn't been heard well, hasn't been understood, person has, has suspected other motives or whatever it might be Ooh, no, we've all had this one. and then that challenges us to stay in trust with the act of the giving even if it seems to have landed unfortunately <coughs> even if it's been misunderstood or put down or blamed or misinterpreted we've got to remember hey, the act the intention was conducive to living a noble life. And sometimes we've got to really remember to trust in ourselves that we can, we're human beings and we can give whatever. We also can explore a little deeper with ourselves and a little uh, further into our being. I'm sure you do, and I sometimes uh, do as well, marvel at some uh, people who are kind of living bodhisattvas in my world, living, living saints. And I think those who really give, really give, these are the true gods and goddesses of the earth. And the celebrity culture and all of that is, is a kind of false world. And the true gods and goddesses are those who, who re re really give. And sometimes one, one meets, and you and I might uh, know people, where let's say there's somebody in the family who has some kind of disability. And the mother, the father, or, or the son, or the daughter, whatever. 24-7 is just giving support to one person's life because he or she can't do anything for themselves and they just do it and they don't get any reputation and they don't get any feedback and the person who is receiving such love and support may not even be in the condition to be able to appreciate what they're receiving they just do it without complaint and without blame and without feeling sorry for themselves and without feeling that they're a, a victim and why should this have happened to, the, to them. They just 
do it. And I think you and I, we have an incredible amount to learn from these people. And you may, may know such people in our own home, in our own family, who just do it. And they never have the privilege to travel to India, and they have never the privilege to go on retreats. They're just <coughs> there to give as much support as they can to one human being's life. These are the gods and goddesses of the earth. Remarkable people. We're blessed to know them. So I feel that sometimes in this world, we kind of need the inspiration of others. I hope, I hope for me and I hope for you too, that that kind of connection with such people kind of rubs off on us in some way or other. When I was a monk, my supporter, Dr. Sunton. And in the uh, uh, monastery there, I referred to monastic life a few times in the monastery, like one guy I was saying to me today, here's a few of you said, oh, sometimes I'm doing the walking meditation, and when walking up and down, he said, it's just sensations, and I just get bored. I said, what? Bored with walking up and down. After nine days. I said, what would it be like if you're in some of us in the monastery for three years of walking up and down? And sometimes for a, a little change, Dr. Suntong, who was the local surgeon, would take me down to the hospital, long tradition of this in Thai Buddhist practice and go to the operating theatre. Come on, yeah. Those of you who have ever been in the operating theatre, I remember the first time I went in. Whoa. <laughs> Talk about sensations inside. <laughs> and the person who had just been brought in, there had been a terrorist attack. There was a lot of this in southern Thailand at the time. And one person had th three bullet holes in their back from uh, a rifle. And the size of the holes are just enormous. And another woman, she had stood on a landmine, anti-personnel mine, and one leg was just blown off, and the other was hanging off. And he said, come here and watch this see it. And they're just there, just with a saw, and just simply saw the leg off. And then one hears of the men who are trained in these, and women in anti-personnel minds. And they're just step by step trying to clear a field. Not because their family are there, not because they know anybody. Just step by step, centimeter by centimeter, to find out where these anti-personnel mines are and, and to clear them. This is service. This is extraordinary acts of giving. And I remember standing on the steps of the Senate in Washington, D.C., September 1997, five or six days after uh, Princess Diana, one of the champions of the anti-personnel mine, five or six days after she'd been killed. And I'm standing there with the Venerable Maha Goshananda, who is a kind of the Mahatma Gandhi of uh, Cambodia, Kampuchea. And we were launching a, a campaign to uh, keep the public voice alive of these, to get rid of these anti-personnel minds, which the uh, Russian, Chinese and uh, American governments refused to sign, though all other nations pretty well had signed it. And the reporters and the press were there. And the reporter came up to Mahagoshananda, who was a Buddhist monk. We were in the same monastery <coughs> together, to, together for years. And you know, with the microphones, you know, and the, 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 wanting him to say something. So Mahagoshananda, very quiet, humble, 
beautiful human being, nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize five times, a great saint. And they wanted a comment. And he said, the anti-personnel minds that are in the ground are there because they start off in our heart and mind. That's where they start. And we not only have to uproot the anti-personnel minds that are in the ground, but those that are in our own heart and mind. And then he put his hands to the press, and then he said, I'm Buddhist, he said, Amen. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, more, 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 more. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. Profoundly beautiful. So if you and I as human beings can make deep inner shifts inside of ourselves, and plenty of you have spoken of, kind of sense sometimes of inner space inside, not so pressurized, not so cluttered up with the unhealthy patterns and tendencies of the past, and just feeling more space, and feeling more spacious. Yeah. Of course, at time times, that, that can be a difficult as well. But it provides the opportunity for the expression and the manifestation of a noble human being. That inner space is vital for the nobility to come through. And one of the <coughs> manifestations, one of the expressions, is, is in giving. And it's also, and equally, of course, as well, in the ability to receive. And some people I talk to find it difficult to receive. And I remember on a retreat, at the end of a retreat, (coughs) we were just about to leave. It sticks in my mind. These, you know, little vignettes of life that tell us a lot about something. We were just about to leave, uh, and it was just the teachers who were leaving, and a couple of the managers. It was <coughs> in one of the Western, uh, Western countries. And just as we were about to uh, leave, one of the uh, last of the people who was there, who was very kindly helping with the cleaning and the completion of everything, found note found some money on the floor. I can't remember whatever it was. 50 pounds, 100 dollars, 50 euros, whatever. But found some money. And then came up to one of the teachers and said, look, I found, I found this money. Everybody has everybody gone. It was a, a rented facility. Everybody has gone. Um, please take. And the response of the teacher, oh, no, 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 no. You, you found it, you keep it. You know, it's kind of nice, nice thought. I think in these situations, and in many others, sometimes it's just better to say thank you and receive it graciously. Don't have to keep it. <coughs> but just the act of someone giving is so beautiful. And this person's spontaneous gesture was not, oh, fifty dollars where they've all gone. <coughs> stick it in the back pocket <coughs> just give and we have to be gracious in our giving and receiving to, to be able to receive in order to be able to give and this ebb and flow of giving and receiving giving and receiving and things work out rather lovely I was just telling um, uh, uh, lunch today Caroline and Anton that Martin, who was teaching here before, wonderful uh, teacher, and, uh, love him to bits. And <laughs> we were walking <coughs> through the market, and I said to, I said to Martin, oh Martin, all the years I've been coming, there have been these stalls in the market, which is selling this, what, what's it called, silverware, is it? What do you call it? Yeah, plates. Eh? Steel plates. Yeah, steel, steel plates, you see them. Steel plates, steel cups, steel bowls, etc. And I said, if, if I didn't have 
what my, I have to confess, my mother gave me 20 years ago, <laughs> which I would never have bought. Some strange Chinese paintings on them. <laughs> that I much prefer to have these nice steel plates. But the, the non-consumer, I said to my mother, no, no, it's consumerism. It still serves the same function there. So why so I can't really get rid of those and go out and buy some ones I really like, <laughs> etc. So I just had an email from Martin today. Dear Christopher, back home with uh, Gail and uh, family, uh, when you arrive in Delhi, please ask. Uh, Ramesh, who's the kind of housekeeper in the home of Prama and Ranchi, um, you will find there a complete set of steel plates, bowls, cups, spoons, <laughs> all that. <laughs> so sometimes things just flow. You know, the idea is that I didn't say think. I think I'll mention this because then Martin will get. <laughs> And then I'll take the other set, which I've been so happy to let go of, <laughs> <laughs> to the uh, local uh, second-hand shop, and then someone else, etc. So sometimes in our receptivity, in our absences, in our giving and the receiving flow can uh, take place. Just in conclusion, uh, with regard to that, you'll see, as we come to the end of the talk this <laughs> afternoon, that... Uh, over there, uh, along what we used to call Guru Ali, uh, in the corner there, the um, uh, tables and the information um, with regard to the donations. And it's a, it's a radical thing. It's not just, oh, what a nice thing to do, run a retreat on dana, on donations. No, no, it's a, it's a radical uh, voice. And some of those voices have kept it uh, 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 alive really, really effectively. And all credit to Goenkaji and his network for the conviction with, uh, with dana, as a number of you know. And other uh, traditions as well. And the thread and the theme that runs through this tradition of donations, of giving, is rather based on simple uh, statement which has been passed on from generation to generation. That which is freely received is to be freely given. That which is freely received is to be freely given. And all of us here, the, uh, the, the teachers, and the good managers and others. We never paid for teachings. We never said, well, this is what we want for the, this is what we paid for the teachings. Any kind with, say, the daily rates, just to pay for food, it was paid for the use of the facility, for donations for the monastery, or for the center, running of the center, whatever it means, but not for the teachings. Teachings are free, they were given freely. And that kind of, uh, spirit of we receive the teachings freely and we just give them in the same light and spirit. Not only keeps alive a beautiful tradition, two and a half thousand years more uh, in, in, in fact, but it kind of reminds all of us of the ebb and flow of the sharing that can take place. And it, therefore it's vitally important that those of us who benefit in having lived <coughs> pretty well both as a monk and as a layperson my adult life uh, along these lines that we are respectful very respectful to what we receive it must be used wisely with discernment respectfully for ourselves for the basic needs to support the, the family in my case my uh, uh, daughter and her training to be a midwife, uh, my grandson, because she's a, a, single, a single mother, etc. It must be used wisely. And that's the understanding that, and the relationship that the Sangha has with the teachers and the teachers uh, with, with the Sangha. 
There is also, of course, as well, with regard to the retreat, and I must say, the Lord Abbot of the Thai Monastery here, who is a very beautiful human being and a very saintly man, beautiful demeanor and quietude about this person and the joy to talk to him, consistently gives us support year in and year out. You know, like last year, if I may say, how much did we give last year? Go on. So like last year, there's a crowd of us, we shifted over to the Dana Completely donations uh, last year. Some people, some good friends said, Christopher, if you just switch over to the Dana, it may not, may not work, it may not work in India, because <laughs> people would come and they think, well, they won't be so committed, haven't had to pay anything. So they'll feel, well, I'll just see how it is. If I don't like it, well, I'll move off down to the chai shop. Oh, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Because I haven't paid anything at the beginning. I think we used to, it used to be about eight, wasn't it? Eight and a half dollars a day or something. And I said, no, no. Good teachings, people will stay, as, as you have kindly, kindly done. And when we added up everything, which included... Uh, Airfares, one for Martin, one for moi, and uh, one for Caroline, who was here since... When did you arrive? Early so, so it's been here since early December, etc. Getting everything prepared and put ready f uh, for us. And in the end, after all the uh, uh, counting up and everything, we gave $500 to the monastery. Do you know there are Thai people here? One of them gives more than that. Look at the crowd of us. And yeah, but he doesn't say, well, five hundred dollars for a month. All you whole crowd of you, and and you're putting your clothes on our monk's line. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, he just, just receives, and we hope it's our intention this year that hopefully we can. Give, give more to give support to the monastery because they're doing so much for us all that effort for the, the transforming of the kitchen plans to replace those cells and build a much bigger facility over there the, the toilet block in there etc etc just for our short visits whatever we give we get much more back but that's all made possible through the kindnesses and the generosity and the expressions and the acts of of uh, giving and in that way not only ensures what takes place here but it also says your acts of giving and the other ways of the love and the time and the care and the attention and the wonderful support that some of you have given during this retreat to the good managers and before it started all of this ensures that your giving will ensure next year no? Just giving for yourselves here, uh, giving for others, and we keep the generation of it alive. And I've said to Martin, and I've said to Jaya, and I've said to the cooks as well, okay, I'm 60 now, years are flowing by, who knows what will happen in one's uh, journey across this earth. And that the new generation, and fresh generations of teachers come in to keep the whole thing flowing along. And all of that process, keeping it going, happens because we in the Sangha, in the network of us, and in our Sangha without walls, as we often say, give. Just because of that gesture. Just because of giving. Nothing else does it. Beautiful force. Beautiful empowerment for all of us. There's, you will see, this has a little bit more importance here, and for some of you who are not familiar with the ways of things in BR, that those who are giving for the covering of the, uh, the retreat here receive a receipt. And I can well understand it. I would wonder, why, why, why do I need a receipt? Why do I, it's not that you have to put your name on the receipt or anything, you know, not concerned with that. It's just in the way of things here that we 
give a receipt for every gift, just in case. In the future, well, what happened to the money? Where did the money go? We don't know how much money was given. Perhaps they're just putting it in one hand and back into their back pocket with the other. Who knows? No, no, we give a receipt. So everything that you uh, give in terms of the flow of the retreat, we give a receipt. That's all. You can just tear it up. I don't care. It's just, this is what was received. At the end, uh, Caroline and Antoinette um, <coughs> And Anton, um, we then present a statement of the account to the the abbot, and that he keeps for his books and uh, his his records. And this is what we do uh, every, every year, and just to keep it very very clear in the light of uh, everything here. And just a final word, just also of course to thank you all immensely for all the huge uh, kindnesses and the support and the ongoing giving that's been going on day in and day out. It helps to bring uh, the joy out of us and uh, the receptivity and the gratitude out of us. What could be better? (coughs) May all beings live with love. May all beings live with great gratitude. May all beings live in the field of giving and receiving. everything back at this time, didn't yeah, Okay. So at uh, this time, <coughs> the uh, valuables which you gave for safekeeping are returned. There's also a number of uh, medical uh, bills, no such items, and if all of that could be uh, settled, please, uh, at this time as well. That would be a great uh, help. As you can appreciate, last day or two, there's so much uh, detail to be taking uh, place. And as I uh, mentioned uh, yesterday, in the flow of things, tomorrow evening at 7.30, there's the music event. And if you have, any of you can sing and have any other talents left, the <laughs> great appreciation. I think Jack's... Uh, Got some musical instrument here. I hear Jack. Yeah, I do. Yeah, right. Yeah, actually, good. We, uh, we you're have, hired. We have a guitar and we have a mandolin too. A guitar and a mandolin. All right. You'll be around tomorrow night. How much do I get paid? <laughs> <laughs> Free chai. <laughs> All right. So that takes place at Shiva's Hotel tomorrow evening at. Uh, 7.30 the, in the afternoon 3 till 5 for those of you interested in social work in helping the disadvantaged in various ways are welcome to come to our meeting with uh, Sister Mary and myself and the other NGOs in the area working in the area That's 3 to 5 in the afternoon tomorrow and evening event Shiva's Hotel and then the following uh, morning, the day after tomorrow morning, from 10 to 11, the children put on a tear-jerking culture event. <laughs> it is quite spectacular. And, uh, and then at the end of that, lasts about an hour, the uh, music carries on, whatever it could be, Hindi film music, but the price for coming is that we have to dance. <laughs> the children just love and crack up 
giggling with laughter at the eccentric Western dancing. <laughs> it's all part of giving and receiving. <laughs> all right, enough. <laughs> Thank you. Namaste. <laughs> Is there any program tomorrow?